All right, everybody. Are you ready for a spectacular show? Introduce the original bad hombre, the amazing nerd, the hardest working Antifa boys on George Soros's payroll. With Pablo Morale Martinez and Ernesto Mancibo, only on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, the heat's getting cranked up to the nth degree in my apartment. Same here, same here. It's because this weather has been very uh, schizo about what it wants to do. Like Christmas Eve into Christmas Day, it was just like, hey, guess what? 60 degrees. <laughs> and then yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, it was just like, oh, did you like walking out there and pretending like it's going to be spring? No, winter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking along with the T-shirt on and it's just like like a, a wisp of wind catches my shoulder. I'm like, what was that? And then it just comes on me like fucking Santa Claus. I don't know. It was just like. (laughs) 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 With that, uh, should we uh, should we start? Should we? Yes. Okay. Um, Thank you for that illustrious intro yet again. Lando Laurel. Talking up the praises of the robots versus taxes program. So hit up. Hit them up for your voiceovers or to record a voicemail message for you that will freak out your friends and family. Um, <laughs> to call your enemies and threaten them in a very illustrious voice. So Very you know. silky smooth uh, tones. Um, <laughs> not unlike the uh, silky smooth tones of my co-host here and oh. my close confidant. Ernesto Mancibo. You're too kind, too kind. And I got to hit it back to you, to my co-host with the mostost, <laughs> Pablo Morale Martinez. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I do try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Merry, merry holidays, dear <laughs> listeners. Uh, we hope that in the weirdest holiday season of your lives, you manage to squeeze out a little bit of happiness. You know, I was searching for the perfect way to address the fact that this holiday was very different for all of us, and you just managed to capture that. That was great. Um, yeah, it was it, this this holiday season was profoundly weird. Mm. Um. But uh, you know, uh, not without its 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 Christmassy charms. It just didn't feel like Christmas this time for me. I don't know. It it didn't have like that holly jolly magic in the air this time because um, our country is in a state of uh, I would say melt. I, I would say a psychological meltdown. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's. That's perfectly coined. I mean, uh, besides the obvious of what's going on, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, A lot of people this past Christmas had to have the the sword of Damocles dangling over their heads because shithead 45 decided that instead of signing a bill to at least 
give us crumbs of relief um, to people who desperately need it. Uh, he was just going to go to Florida and go golf and pretend as though he's fighting for the people. He's just like, I want the bill to have direct payments of $2,000 a person or $4,000 for every married couple. It's just like, you know, Congress didn't just come up with this bill. It's literally been uh, debated for months now. And at the 11th hour and 59th minute is when you chime in with this opinion. You're, you're so full of shit. I mean, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you with, with that regard. He's full of shit, right? Mm-hmm. Initially, when I heard it, I was like, in my head, my first thought was like, oh, the ghost of Christmas future visited Mr. Trump in the middle of the night, and, uh, and you was just like, you know, you, you, you die friendless uh, from, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, look at you. Pick, 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 pick a reason, right? <laughs> Clutching your heart in one hand while in the other one, a half-eaten, you know, Big Mac in the other, <laughs> and uh, and then he cut. But I, I'm I'm thinking he's just thinking of his legacy because he's just like my legacy, shitty. Mm. And then he's just like, I don't want people to remember me for all the shitty things I've done. I want like to at least appear like I'm doing something. And so he challenged Mitch McConnell to a showdown, and he lost. Hmm. Um, which uh, you know, uh, which is is it, it struck an odd tone with me because I was just like, "That's interesting." He does is it the, he's he's at least trying to appear as if he has some semblance of a conscience, but it's all I I can only assume it's only for self serving goals. So. Oh, I think I think he knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that there was no way that that amount was going to be amended because he didn't just only speak to the direct payments. Um, he was talking about all the pork that was uh, included in that in that particular bill. And it's just like this isn't the first time within the four years that he's been in office that he's seen that. Um and, you know, prior to this, he's basically said nothing about the prior pork and prior bills that have been uh, nothing but outrageous. I think it was just a bunch of grandstanding. I think he was trying to stick it to Mitch a little bit since Mitch McConnell did recognize Joe Biden as uh, president elect. And again, this is like this is something that I said, definitely thought and said after the election, uh, everything is basically just going to be scorched earth policy on his way out um, by if it's not drumming up his base, it's uh, shitting as much as he can on any uh, legislation that might get pushed through um, the, all this whole talk of possible martial law and the, the military, the military <laughs> being worried about what his next move is. Uh, it's, it's, it's what he does, you know? Right. Um, and then uh, also, of course, all the bad press drummed up by the fact that he uh, pardoned a bunch of not only a bunch of his cronies, but um, Jared Kushner's father and oh. a bunch of fucking war criminals, like just straight up war criminals, former like, Blackwater mercenaries. Yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty much like he pardoned Brock Rumlow, 
uh, and he let you know he let Crossbones loose, and now <laughs> you know Crossbones is down in you know he he he's uh, he he's on he's on the African border trying to get that 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 you know uh, 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 mystery disease thing, and now fucking <laughs> the Avengers got to be called in to stop him, led by by Captain America. <laughs> I like the way that you filled in um, what happened. <laughs> what happened before Civil War? That's actually yeah, kind of exactly. cool. Like, like that. That really actually fits. <laughs> yeah, it does. Right. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that's my um, that's my TED talk on on Civil War. <laughs> but. Um, Speaking about weird realities and weird holiday seasons, uh, listeners, we have we have a really interesting matchup for you this week uh, that we're going to uh, sort of uh, weave in and out of and, and speak to the to the genre in a larger sense. Uh, the matchup we have this week are Black Christmas, which uh, came out in 1974 versus Silent Night. Deadly Night, which came out in 1984. So, you know, a swath of a 10-year difference within the genre. But, oh, does it say so much. Oh, it does. It does. These are two Christmas classics that the whole family could sit down and just traumatize themselves with. (laughs) The whole family, yes. (laughs) Especially Silent Night, Deadly Night. But but I, I think... Which one should we get to first? Do you want to do you want to hit Black Christmas or do you want to hit um, Silent Night Deadly Night first? I I think we should ease into it by by starting off with Silent Night Deadly Night because I have some I have some strong feelings about Black Christmas and I tend to get off on a tangent when that happens. So you I'm charging you with the task of stopping me uh, without rage reviewing black christmas that's that's all i want to say about about that at the moment okay so you want to do silent night deadly night first yes please okay okay all right cool wow you have some i'm really curious now to find out what your opinions are about about black christmas it's mostly belligerent but you know we'll get to that when we get to that (laughs) okay gotcha 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 okay so um silent night deadly night uh is um, <laughs> I don't know how best to describe this movie. Is I mean, I I saw it as like <laughs> I wish what you just said was on the box of that movie, <laughs> like Silent Night, Deadly Night. Woo! Um. <laughs> I I I don't know what to say about this movie. Um. It's a, I mean, th- this movie to me felt a lot like those movies that were advert. It's, it's a grindhouse movie. Mm. Uh, it's a movie that uh, to me looks like it wouldn't seem out of place if the trailer for it was placed or was sandwiched, sandwiched in between all of those fake trailers for uh, uh, Thanksgiving. Don't. Uh, you know, all, all those, grind, you know, when Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino did Grindhouse <laughs> and and all those all those fake trailers started playing. Yeah, I, it doesn't seem out of place in, in 
in that realm because it's so over the top. It's so like banana. Like there are choices in this movie where I'm like, this is bananas. <laughs> and I, I, I gotta say, it to it was it was it was so much fun. I, I think it was it was fun to me, um, even despite the ludicrously dark subject matter. Um, because this this movie doesn't fuck around, uh, you know. You know <laughs> warnings for all: there is the subject of uh, a, a short, like two sexual assaults in this. But it's oh my god, the way I don't I don't even know how to describe the tone of this film. It is like <laughs> it. Uh, I don't think it takes itself seriously, and I appreciate it for that. Um, uh, this movie distur- uh, disturbed me only in the sense of how often I laughed at this film during some of the most horrific parts. And I'm talking about like child trauma, uh, lives being destroyed. <laughs> like for some reason I, I had belly laughs at this, me too. At this me fucking too. film. <laughs> there were, it's just like the, the. You know, uh, I'm going to go back a little bit and reference like something like along the lines of there's this moment in Planet Terror, that Robert Rodriguez movie, where um, a mother hands her five year old son a gun to protect herself from zombies (laughs) as she scouts an area nearby. And as soon as she gets out of the car, the gun goes off and kills the kid. And I'm just like. This is that movie. This is that, this. That's the tone this movie is. <laughs> where it's it, that that opening assault of the family, where you know there's this. I, I, all I can think about was like, wow, the dude who made this really fucking hates Santa Claus. So uh, <laughs> a, a homicidal Santa is on the loose, shooting you know, shooting up convenience store clerks, and. Stumbles across his family, kills the family, uh, sexually assaults the mom, and the little kid that there's a, a five year old kid in the back, and a baby in the back in the back seat. Mm-hmm. The five year old runs away uh, while his family is getting murdered, mm-hmm. and then uh, witnesses the death of his father and the sexual assault slash. Uh, just straight up cold blooded murder of his mom, and then it cuts away to the kid being raised in what is the most cartoonishly evil orphanage. <laughs> this side of fucking, I, I don't even know what it's like. Nurse Ratchet presents the orphanage of her dreams. You know, it is fucking weird with mega. But- with mega orthodox nuns like they're <laughs> well not 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 one one nun who's just like habit no habit i don't give a fuck i'm going to get my fuck on and <laughs> at the drop of a hat <laughs> hold on hold on a dro- second <laughs> that's the part that confused me and i wanted to ask you specifically about that on the show the nurse who was kind to our Let's for now call him the protagonist of the film, <laughs> right? She when he's a kid, oh, and she <laughs> and she comes 
after he's grounded by Mother Superior in his room and she says, you know what? I think you've been punished enough for these five minutes. Why don't you come outside and help us build a snowman? And he's like, "Okay, sure. And as he's putting his coat on, she closes the door and he exits the room and he hears um, sounds of passion within this uh, boy's home. Yes. And he he follows the sound and and looks through a keyhole and sees a man and a woman getting it on. Now, was the woman that nurse, not not nurse, that nun or was it? Another nun. No. Because she... Because the thing is, Mother Superior found him looking at the couple, pushed him aside, beat the shit out of this couple, which I can only imagine enhanced the the experience for them. And then (laughs) when, when, when Mother Superior went outside to find the kid, um... The nurse was already outside. So were those not nurse. I keep calling them nurses. The nun was already outside the kind nun. So were those two different nuns or did she just get dressed after her ass whooping and go outside? I don't know because they only show two nuns. I think I fucked it up for you because I said nurse ratchet before. Anyway, um, (laughs) there were they only show two nuns. You're right. They never show any other nuns working there. So I can only assume that that woman has, because there's supernatural powers in this movie. <laughs> like people are metahumans, mutants, if you will, right? <laughs> Billy, our quote unquote protagonist, as my co host uh, called him, uh, Billy, he is m- bananas strong. He is bananas strong. <laughs> <laughs> this kid is at, at least he what is he nine ten years old he knocked out a full-grown man with one with one punch <laughs> oh <laughs> and nearly knocked him out and that's not the that's not the craziest thing he does either. He does shit in this movie where I, I was I was like this movie is beyond comprehension to me. Um, this <laughs> whoever wrote this movie like had a few bouts of cocaine and in, in sandwiched in between you know trying to write a <laughs> a, a dark foreboding tale of of, of revenge and madness. But uh, uh, yeah, with regards to Billy, with regards to the nuns. Um, I think, uh, the kind nun, I don't know. I don't know what her name is. She's just going to be called kind nun. (laughs) She, I think as soon as she told Billy that he, he could play outside, she was like, as soon as, as soon as you hear the door close her, like she's just stripping in the hallway, goes into that room where that dude is already waiting with the dry martini in hand and nothing else and starts going to fucking town dude and uh it's it's just it's jarring because they're not even trying to mask their sounds of passion you know it's just like ah ah you know and yeah. when billy uh Billy looks through the peephole. They must have already gotten through, like you know, the, the the climax of it because they do that thing that uh, 
they do in older films where two people just sort of like cuddle naked and you're supposed to infer that some you know fucking was going on but you mentioned earlier that the director of this film must have something against santa i agree with you but i think he also has some sort of trauma with titties that he's trying to work out uh within this film because it starts with the mother at the beginning of the film it's like she gets her blouse ripped open and Billy, you know, focuses in on the titty and then, you know, she gets her throat cut. And then when we fast forward a little bit to the um, to the boys home or orphanage and he's watching this couple uh, go at it through the peephole, you know, there's this hyper focus on the breast uh, during that scene as well. And, you know, he automatically thinks about his mother. And I'm just like, this is. This is way too specific. This, yeah, this is fucking like yeah. The director's name is Charles Charles E. Sellier Jr. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that cor- correctly. Uh, <laughs> he also directed the television series The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. So um, he's <laughs> uh, there. There. There's this. Um, uh, there's there is a, a, a hyper focus on on female breasts in this movie, uh, to which led to one of the darkest jokes, I visually darkest jokes that I have seen, which it let out a huge belly laugh out of me, which was uh, the the second uh, uh, pair of victims that grown Billy decides to exude his wrath on he uh you know there's a there's a couple having sex in their house you know um i can it's the 80s so i can only assume missionary style and um the guy goes i I don't know what he does but he's like hey julie i'm gonna go downstairs and make myself a sandwich you want anything and she's like nah. and then he goes he leaves and then she stays up there you know topless uh as one is uh, you know, uh, after the throes of passion happens that they're prone to do. And, you know, Billy dressed in full Santa, Santa Claus regalia grabs her and mounts her onto the, the antlers of a deer head, you know, of a, of a rack. He puts a rack on a rack and then it cuts to, <laughs> It cuts to uh, fucking the dude downstairs playing pool, which I'm like, oh, it's triple rack. Like, it's a rack on a rack, and then he's racking him up. I'm like, amaze balls. The, the balls on this fucking movie. <laughs> oh, my God. But... You know, after Billy uh, penetrated that young woman onto our show logo, um, eventually, <laughs> eventually her boyfriend, you know, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. playing pool downstairs. He's just like, well, she's been gone a long time. I better go check on her. Um, he first of all, this guy has he has to be the most clueless i mean he's he's a teenage guy from the 80s so of course he's clueless but he walks into the room where she's dead she's already mounted up 
she's mounted up it's, and the the room is lit and he's just looking around the first thing he notices is the door that billy you know chopped his way through and he's just like whoa you know something must have gone on here and he slowly turns around and finally notices his dead girlfriend you know impaled on a steer and that's when billy comes in to finish the job and a scuffle ensues and he manages to hit Billy in the eye once with a, a poker from the fireplace. And he figures, all right, I got him. I got and- him, yeah. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> oh, but he tries to call 911 and just gets, after that, just gets manhandled by Billy and... Uh, and just murdered and you know i can't i can't really feel anything for him because again you know he was clueless but but th- this movie isn't about the victims though. like it's a wa- <laughs> about one specific victim right <laughs> this movie is like the movies of like the it, it's like it's a sl- it's like it, it builds on that archetype of the slasher movie uh, villain as pr- the protagonist so it's like you know, when you go to Camp Crystal Lake, you're not rooting for the campers to make it out safely because you care about their backstory. No, no, no. This movie is about um, <laughs> how creative the kills are. And let me tell you, there are some fucking creative kills because, um, you know, uh, there uh, you could talk about like how, you know, in... Um, in uh, the Friday the 13th movies, what are your favorite kills? I think the first one that comes to mind is Miguel Nunez Jr. Uh, getting diarrhea and singing R&B to his girlfriend outside um, and getting stabbed. Like He gets stabbed from behind through, a, uh, aluminum, through, through aluminum siding. <laughs> that's one of my favorite kills of the fucking the, the the Friday the 13th movies. That's that's a great one. That's a great one. I would have to say my favorite kill from that series is uh comes from Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh he's on a rooftop and he's fighting one of the characters uh who is an amateur boxer and he's just He's just laying haymakers into Jason on top of this rooftop. He's just, you know, giving it all he's got. And finally, they end up at the edge of the building. And this amateur boxer sees that he's he hasn't made a dent in this guy. And he's just like, all right, give me your best shot. And Jason literally punches his head clean <laughs> off of his shoulders. It falls over the building perfectly. Nothing but net into a dumpster. <laughs> Cinema. <laughs> it would have been great if it faded to black. I'm sorry. If it would have been great if it faded to black. And you would have seen like. And that was the start of Jason Voorhees' career. And then it's like. <laughs> The New York Knicks presents its newest player, you know, and he's kind of like the stands are cheering. Everybody's like, and he comes out all rotted wearing the fucking Knicks jersey. Jason Voorhees, from a recent trade in from Camp Crystal Lake. 
Anyway, um, I'm getting off track because, like, I, I want to talk about my favorite kill in this movie is the sledding uh, kill oh, God. In, in Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> Tell me you didn't fucking, like, when it happened, you weren't like, oh, my God, that's the funniest fucking thing that's ever happened. <laughs> it's che- so darkly humorous. It's amazing. I cheered. I cheered. He, he, <laughs> it's It was... I mean, first of all, you know, it was the bullies of this particular scene that were getting killed off. So it's just like, all right, we automatically have established that we don't like this guy, these guys. And, uh, you know, they stole these kids sleigh and uh, decided "Eh, we want to slay at night. And uh, the second guy is going downhill and, you know, he's having a good time. (laughs) And out of nowhere, Billy Claus comes out of the shadows <laughs> yes 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 and and just clean takes his head off but that but that was you know they didn't just let the moment pass what they did they insinuated that that happened you saw the shock on his face like oh no something's about to happen and you saw this <laughs> you saw the sleigh <laughs> You saw the sleigh and his body coming down the hill, but it was in shadow, which I got to yeah. say, how whatever they needed to do to technically pull that off, mwah, yeah. uh, my, my compliments to them. And you, you see his friend at the bottom of the hill like, oh, here comes my buddy. And as it slides into the light, you see that it's just it's just a corpse. It's a headless It's a, it's corpse. a headless corpse. <laughs> It's a headless sledding corpse. And then the the head rolls down like bowling ball style, rolls down the hill and follows him. And then that dude gets the axe. And I was just like, I was like you. I I, I thought of you. I was like, cinema. <laughs> Perfect cinema. Like, I, I hope this is in, uh, what's it called? The Library of Congress where they send... <laughs> <laughs> where they send touchstones of our culture to be preserved, you know. So I hope, amber. <laughs> I hope that's uh, I hope that's in there. But yeah, this movie, this movie didn't shy away in regards to emotionally confusing the viewer because I'm going to admit it right now. This may come back to haunt me. You know, there may be there may be a time when this uh, piece of audio is played on the news and they're just like, we always knew that Ernesto Mancibo was heading down a dark path. But I was, <laughs> I was cheering for Billy cause he, he went through so much shit and nobody gave a damn about him at, at any point that what else could he do? Get therapy. It was already established at the beginning of the film that when you want to get therapy, they just put you in a place in a wheelchair, in a robe and just leave you there to rot. Like this, so, this is the this is a very dark universe indeed, <laughs> because at the start of the movie, at the fucking top of the movie, they go visit their grandpa. The, uh, Billy, as a kid, goes to visit his grandpa along with his family, and uh, the family are just like, he's like, why do we have to visit grandpa? He shits himself, <laughs> and he fucking he doesn't say shit. I believe like, I believe those are direct quotes. Yes. Yeah, those are direct quotes. And the father's like, "I don't give a fuck what you think, little boy." And then they leave him. Oh, they leave little like 
five-year-old Billy. They leave five-year-old Billy with the old cantankerous coot. And then he, um, the, the, the geezer turns around and, you know, he's supposed to be catatonic, but immediately, as soon as the family is gone from sight, he turns around looking like Santa Claus, by the way, in full beard. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, um, you're going to get fucking punished. And, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, nobody loves you and this and that. And, you know, Santa Claus is a lie. The Easter Bunny doesn't exist. God is dead. And then Billy is like fucking traumatized, you know. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, the same night... Driving home, a Santa Claus killer kills his whole family, and then cut to years later, he's working, he's a jacked (laughs) 19-year-old slash 30-year-old man. (laughs) Because the 80s. That was the 80s. You occupied two... Uh, two different ages at any given time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially in movies. It's like, yeah, I'm a teenager who probably has a family, you know. So. <laughs> he is ultra jacked. He goes to work for a, uh, you know, a, a, a mom and pop toy store uh, run by a fucking souse. And then he... <laughs> he immediately goes berserk when they they're just like... Oh, we've got nobody who could fit in this Santa Claus outfit. How about we get the the guy with the history of mental illness to wear this? Um, and there you have the movie. <laughs> and then he's, for some reason, he snaps. And uh, <laughs> and he, lit, he kills one dude, uh, like, w- with one, he lifts that dude up, like, uh, Darth Vader, David Prowse style. Just like <laughs> up in the air, <laughs> demanding why the the this uh you know this diplomatic mission is uh, uh <laughs> 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 you, you know what I'm talking about? He's fucking screaming Darth Vader shit at him. Star Wars reference. Star Wars reference. When that happened, I was just like, oh shit, they're going here, huh? This guy is so insane. That he has inhuman strength at this point. Yeah. He literally lifted this guy up by Christmas lights around his throat and just and just killed him that way. And not to stop there, because what we thought was the object of some of his affections just a few minutes prior, um, who had been sexually assaulted by this man that uh, Billy Claus just killed... Uh, he goes ahead and cuts her from uterus to breastbone uh, within the stock room. It's just like, oh, so there's so reason is just completely out the window at this point. I know. I I mean, he must have seen Wonder Woman 1984. Uh (laughs) Oh, we're going to talk about that next week, folks. Because there are some issues we got with that movie that stretch far beyond the eye can see. So you anyway. you, ha- you have homework for next week's show, folks. <laughs> Watch Wonder Woman 1984, whichever way you can, uh, you know, legally. And, yeah. and uh, 
and tune in for our thoughts because boy do we have a lot of those yeah um so uh jesus christ the kills in this movie are great uh let's Let's just skip to the end because this the ending to this it 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 made my jaw drop with its reasoning with its logic because <laughs> Billy goes after Mother Superior and I'm just like fuck yeah this lady's got it coming you yeah know? yeah it, even though she was in a wheelchair by the yeah. end of the film <laughs> I can only assume the weight of her evil is. <laughs> Put her in that wheelchair. <laughs> then the human knees can only withstand so much evil. And he, 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 he came like, he was like, you know, ch- chopping his way up to the top, John Wick style. And he, <laughs> he finally got to. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> anyway so he finally gets to her and the cops shoot him dead now that's not the part that made my jaw drop what happened afterwards was the fact that like you know the evil nun is like yeah you know she turns to the kids after all of them have been thoroughly traumatized and she's like yeah see <laughs> see, see here, kids. Yeah, Santa Claus doesn't exist. See, and then one of the kids, you know, they should have turned on the omen music, like La Dominus, Satanus, you know. And <laughs> the kid turns and points to the nun, and he's like, naughty. <laughs> and then roll credits. Insinuating that this kid would grow up to become Ted Cruz. So we have, we definitely have an origin story in this fucking movie. <laughs> oh, that's that, that was awesome. I couldn't help but to think of him when I saw that kid. I was just like, uh, I he don't does think. look a little bit like Ted Cruz. He, does. he really does. He really does. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, do you know they made six of these films? Yes, I <laughs> knew that when I saw, like, if you like Silent Night, Deadly Night, how about the series? And I'm like, the series? <laughs> like, didn't we say all we needed to say with the first one? <laughs> I, am, I, I, I do want to watch the rest of them. I am curious about where this saga goes. Well, he did have a little brother. Oh no! Mm-hmm. I like how all the other orphan kids were like, "Yo, your brother's fucking nuts," <laughs> and the kid is, the kid's like, "I'm five, you know." <laughs> they didn't. They didn't give a fuck, man. It's just like when he called out to his brother, he's just like, "Billy, what's wrong?" He's like, "Your brother's fucking nuts." <laughs> your brother's out of his mind. <laughs> No, no, they don't even have to, like, drop any, like, you know, reasons for it or anything. It's just <laughs> cruelty for cruelty's sake. And in your mind, you know, you're just like, ah, you know, kids. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they are. You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. 
Uh, shrug your shoulders. Uh, they grow up so fast. <laughs> so, um, onward to our next movie. Do you want to? Yes. Do you want to? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, the next movie, Black Christmas, uh, directed Late. by Bo- Bob Clark, <laughs> written okay. by Roy Moore. Um, I wonder if it's the same Roy Moore. Nah, it couldn't be. <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> Oh, uh, I even for- I totally forgot about that asshole. <laughs> but uh starring a uh actually a well-credited actress, uh, Olivia Hussey, many credits to her name. Um we also see Margot Kidder. <laughs> yes, in this film, and from the first second that I saw her in this film, I wanted her dead because <laughs> She she was ruined for me in her role as Lois Lane within the classic Superman uh, Christopher Reeves movies because she was such an asshole in those films to Clark Kent. I was just like, I don't care about her at all. <laughs> I, 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 I beg to differ. Um... <laughs> To me, she she is like I saw those movies very young, and I was like, um, I was like, that's Lois Lane, you know, and that's <laughs> that's to me. I'm never gonna let that go. I don't care how badly she treated Clark Kent. Um, uh, she's gonna be she's always Lois Lane to me. So to see her fucking die brutally in this movie kind of <laughs> she had the opposite effect. I was like, no, Lois Lane, no, where's Superman? You know. He's at home washing his tights. <laughs> when I saw that scene, I just looked at her and I was just like, no resurrections this time. <laughs> Nobody's then, spinning the planet backward for you, baby. So speaking of cosmic events, did you see who else was in this fucking movie? Um... Damn, I, you're referring to something that I'm going to kick myself for not picking up. What, what are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> From the Arthur C. Clarke penned classic, Kier Dulia, right? I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. As oh, Peter, oh shit, he played David Bowman in the Stanley Kubrick directed oh, how uh, film two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. And let me tell you, there was moment. There was a moment in this movie where. I would have killed to have just seen him just turn into a star baby out of nowhere <laughs> and float away. It's just like, what am I doing in this film? <laughs> dun, dun, and, you know, he just like, boop, boop, you know, he's... Turns into a star baby and just <laughs> floats away. I want that sound for his floating away. Just <laughs> boop, 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 boop. I, I halfway expected him to turn to Olivia Hussey and just uh, or Husey. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm fucking up her name. Um, I, I halfway expected him to turn to her and be like, "I must go now. My home planet needs me." And he just <laughs> star babies away. <laughs> I love that star babies away. That's going to be, you know what? That's going to be a thing now. That's going to be a thing now. It's so, 
it's so fucking epic. It's like yes. I ha- I have to transcend existence to get out of this situation <laughs> right now. I have to evolve the fuck yes. out of this, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, Kier Dulia was uh, was in this film, and I gotta say, like I stated at the beginning of the show. I have strong feelings about this film in so much as I could not muster a fuck to give until like the last five minutes of this fucking film. It's like they dropped us into a situation. They set up a little bit of atmosphere at the beginning. You know, they have a house. It's snowing. It's just like, oh, look, it's a little Christmassy. But there was nothing about anybody's situation that made me care about the characters or the events unfolding in this film. There was some creepy guy on a phone um, basically uh, violently masturbating every time he called this house, uh, scaring or annoying the women who were picking up these calls. I couldn't really tell. Um, and then murder. Right. Um Jeez, I don't know what to say about that, but other than it's it's a to me it was a it it felt uh, very prescient to me with regards to male toxicity now mm. Mm. because um, I feel like this movie could easily be transposed to the modern day. I know they did it recently, and I heard terrible things about the the 2019 remake oh boy and i was like i'm not gonna bother with that but watching this film all i could think about was how men hide behind keyboards now and harass women um and it's to to the extent where it's just it makes it impossible for them to live and I, I I was I was I was struck by the film. I mean, obviously, it does fall into the whole horror trappings of mm-hmm. of it all, mm-hmm. where like there's yeah, there's a little bit of exploitation and over the top characters. I'm talking about the house mother, of course, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that like um, uh, grammatically, it killed me just to hear someone uh, spell out a, a phone number with fellatio at the top i'm just like come on guys you don't you don't give a phone number and say fellatio is how it starts like margot kidder come on be on the ball (laughs) well you know the cops in this particular film were completely and utterly inept i mean the, the guy who they had the, at the front desk at the precinct could not hate his job more. Everybody, <laughs> everybody who called in, he was just like, are you sure that the missing girl isn't just hanging out with her boyfriend? Because 90% of the time, you know, that's what happens. The other 10%, they've been mangled and thrown into a ditch, of course. But 90% of the time, they're just getting some sex, you know? You sure that's not... It's just like Jesus. Would you do your job? I thought you took an oath or something. That police, uh, that 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 um, that that police precinct is suffering from two very 
different levels of incompetence. It's suffering from the John Saxon, I'm the cop of this. By the way, I love that John Saxon was in this. (laughs) They both came from Springtowns. That guy, the, the guy at the desk that you're talking about, definitely came from Springfield. And then... Um, John Saxon came from Springwood, uh, where, where he was trying to, you know, wipe his, his record clean from dropping the ball on the Freddy Krueger murders. (laughs) Time to start over. (laughs) It's a new dawn, John Saxon. Uh, but yeah, that dude, that dude who ran the phones. I was just like, oh my god, the incompetence on the I like when they when they entrusted him to relay information <laughs> with the fact that like the calls were coming from inside the house, they were just like, Whatever you do, don't tell her that the call you don't wanna fucking freak her out. <laughs> don't tell her that the calls are coming from inside the house. And he's like, You can count on me, Cap. <laughs> he tried. He tried for two seconds. Yes. <laughs> He's just like, and then just... he was just like, why do I give a shit about this job? I don't. <laughs> he, did... <laughs> he tried for two seconds. He was just like, just hang up the phone. Don't question me and walk out of the house. And, you know, this poor woman is freaking out on the other end. He's just like, the calls are coming from inside the house. You're about to get your ass stabbed. You know, he said it just like that, too. And because he realized he was just like, man, I'd just rather be kicking it in the Caribbean, you know, just drinking with my homegirl saying Marcellus Wallace was right. I'm sorry. That's, I'm s- <laughs> he does. You know what? He would perfectly fit within a Quentin Tarantino film. He, do, he, he does. He does. He does. He, he's one of this. He's, he's one of these just moralist uh, characters who just. Uh, they just find themselves in the mix and they they go whichever way the wind blows. But <laughs> but touching on your point in regards to right. male, male toxicity in this film, that's the only part of the film that actually engaged me for a few minutes when fucking what's his name? Chris uh, was talking to uh, Olivia Hussey's uh, character. She was just like, I'm pregnant. I don't want to keep it. Um, correct me if I'm mixing up characters here, but his, his name was Peter, I think. But Peter, no, it, doesn't ma- it doesn't matter because <laughs> he's given nothing. Like all we figure out about him is he he likes playing the piano. That's Peter. about it. Yeah. What a what a perfect name, Peter. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> and he's just like she's saying, you know, I I have other plans for my life. I'm gonna go ahead with this abortion. She's just like, do you only think about yourself? You you didn't even talk to me about this. It's just like, dude, you are a music student. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> You're a white music student. You'll land on your feet. Dude, her body, her choice. And I was like, I was really happy with with um, the stance that that it took with that this movie took. It says it's the this movie has some really it's it's definitely not a a guy in a Santa Claus costume running <laughs> around with superhuman strength. This movie is has things to say and I was like I was surprised by how poignant it was and um 
how awful the how some how how a, a little bit disturbing the kills were despite the fact that one of them was completely improbable like the way they killed the house mother i was like there's no way he calculated the physics of how that would even work God. Also, nobody nobody has a sense of smell in this universe, right? Exactly. Oh, I was hoping that you would say something like that. This this poor woman who, again, I, I don't care about any of the characters in this film, but she was like the first kill of the of the movie, and the only thing that uh, is keeping her somewhat preserved is plastic over her head, like the rest of the, her body wouldn't start to rot like she didn't evacuate her bowels or nothing <laughs> exactly she just soaked for three days in jasmine and died holy shit <laughs> what well but that's the only reason i can assume that why she didn't stink up the place you know do people do that do they no i i just made that up off the top of my head don't don't go soaking in jasmine don't do it. <laughs> the things that you hear on the Robots vs. Taxes program are completely fictional. And the, the commentaries expressed do not resent, do not reflect those of the Radio Free Brooklyn uh, 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 heads of, uh, you know, Tom Teddy and Robert Pritchard. Uh, <laughs> those guys are gonna kick my fucking ass for that. <laughs> when, when, when they're visited by like federal agents, it's like we'd like to talk to you about the robots versus taxes program. They're just like, what? <laughs> God damn those motherfuckers! Um, if if I had to say any one good thing about this film, it was that final sequence where they focus on Olivia Hussey's character uh, sleeping in the bed, and then there's the slow pan around the house. That I found unnerving. Um, yeah. Because who who doesn't who hasn't walked around like a dark apartment or a dark house at some point and let their imagination wander? So I, you know, I, I tip my hat in regards to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess this movie is a classic then, huh? Yeah, it is a classic. It's considered a classic, yeah. Okay. I know That's... I know it definitely influenced Halloween just from if you look at Halloween and uh Black Christmas back to back you'll see the influences especially in the first person perspective of mm-hmm. the killer um so uh, and yeah is this is this movie where the whole um they're calling from inside the house originated from um you know what I I, I can't tell you that right off the bat because there is a movie called When a Stranger Calls Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if they use that, that same gimmick there. I'm not, I'm not sure. I can't tell you, but, um, when, when they, when they first start, when the, the cops are like, we're going to trace the call. I was like, the, the calls are coming from inside the house, guys. <laughs> Come, I, I know this. <laughs> and and I'm, th- I'm just like, well, I wonder if this is the movie where that all came from. So, huh. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, both these movies uh, were were distinct flavors of a very spe- specific genre, which is holiday horror. Yes. 
Halloween, uh, you know, Black Christmas. What's another one? Valentine's Day. Oh. <laughs> I really want to make a movie called Flag Day. And just... <laughs> Just people randomly being impaled by flags, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every one of them is just like... And it's always a different flag, right? It's like the United Nations of horror movies. So... <laughs> but it's really about family. It's about unity. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Of course. Of course. So stupid. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think this might be a good place to cap it, though. Yes. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. We have run a little long. Um, so yeah, so uh, from both of us here, I'm Pablo Morali Martinez. And I'm Ernesto Mancibo. And together we are the Robots vs. Taxes program. On Radio Free Brooklyn. While you're out there, you could try keeping it real. But you should try keeping it right. Song of the week. And have a happy new year. <laughs> 